Welcome to another fabulous episode of the Madonna Get Together. I am your host, Wayne. Today on the show, we have a treat for all the fans out there. We are talking to Mary Gabriel, author of the new Madonna biography entitled Madonna, A Rebel Life, published by the Little Brown Book Group, releasing on October 10th. Mary is also the author of Ninth Street Women, Lee Krasner, Elaine de Kooning, Grace Hartigan, Joan Mitchell, and Helen Frankenthaler, Five Painters and the Movement That Changed Modern Art, which not only won the 2022 NYU Accent Foundation Prize for Narrative Nonfiction, but also the 2019 Library of Virginia and Virginia of Fine Arts Mary Lynn Cotts Award, which hey, is in my city of Richmond, Virginia. I am minutes away from both of those places. Gabriel's previous book, Love in Capital, Carl and Jenny Marks, and the Birth of a Revolution, was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, the National Book Award, and the National Book Critics Circle Award. She is also the author of Notorious Victoria, The Life of Victoria Woodhull, Uncensored in the Art of Acquiring a Portrait of Etta and Clarabel Cohn. She worked in Washington and London as Reuters editor for nearly two decades and now lives in Ireland, my ancestral homeland. And I think it's fair and accurate statement to say that biblically, your name is synonymous with Madonna's. Mary Gabriel, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much, Wayne. It's so funny you should say that because when I was contemplating this project, I thought, wow, the cover is going to have to be light blue because with Madonna and Mary Gabriel, they're, you know, the Virgin Mary references are all over the place. So. <laughs> but no, we went with red. <laughs> well, it's perfect. I wanted to ask you, you know, what made you decide on Madonna? And I know that's a very loaded question, <laughs> um, but what brought you to this point? Yeah, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a natural, that's for sure for me, because um, I didn't start out as a Madonna fan. Um, what it was is that when I finished my last book, my last book was about five women painters in the 40s, 30s, 40s, and 50s New York. And that ended in 1959, and it was such an incredibly fun project. You know, I was really so in love with that whole creative milieu and that whole idea of New York and that percolating, you know, madness that is painting and that is art and the life they live. And I just didn't want to give it up. So, and plus women artists, you know, um, haven't been written about nearly enough. And so I wanted to stay on that subject, but I knew if I continued to write about visual artists, I'd repeat myself. So I started fishing around. And just when I was doing that, Madonna gave her 2016 Billboard Woman of the Year speech. Mm, mm -hmm. I don't even know how I came across it because I wouldn't have been looking for Madonna at all. But I was so stunned by it. And I realized, you know, the power and the passion and the importance of that statement at that moment was so great. I thought, I don't know anything about this woman at all. You know, she was not the person I had imagined because I had her in a pop bubble, you know, pop celebrity bubble. Right. You know, only she was only a, head, a headline of outrage for me. So <laughs> I started looking around and the more I read, the more I realized not only was she fascinating, but that. Most of what, though she's been written about for 40 years, almost daily, um, mm -hmm. it doesn't really quite get to the story. In fact, in most cases, it doesn't get to the story at all. So I had my person. And, and the thing is, timeline-wise, it's perfect because my last book ended in 1959. She was born in 1958. So she was the person, she was the young woman who arose out of the sacrifices 
her mother made or the mother the people the women in the 1950s made right. and she she grew up during the 60s and 70s as a teenager in this era where she was told you can be who you want to be you're liberated you can do what you want to do but was that really the case and the answer is no you know and so that's who she was that that was her foundation as an artist that idea but the reality she encountered was different and so it's no real surprise to me that her first audience were those young women and girls who were hearing that same message and realizing, you know what, that's not true. I can't do what I want to do. So, so she was, she was in many ways, the perfect person that when I started thinking of a next book, she was the last person on my mind. <laughs> well, do you remember when you first saw Madonna or heard Madonna? Like, I, I know you said it was like in, in kind of like in this pop, yeah, pop culture bubble or whatever do you remember like where you were what you were doing I do who was that I do but you know what it wasn't a song I I was working at United Press International which was one of the two big wire services in the United States and it was would have been for her probably who's that girl tour I'm thinking um and I worked with this young woman not young she was my age and she took her little sister to see it because she, her little sister was a Madonna fan. And so we all laughed, you know, ha ha ha, won't that be funny? And she came back from it. I'll never forget. She came back from it and said, she is really good. You know, she was shocked at how good she was, how much she enjoyed the concert, irregardless of what her little sister thought. And she was this kind of tough war correspondent, you know, it worked in the Middle East and stuff. And she started wearing that, um, you know, the Madonna rag in her hair, you know, from yeah, that era, uh-huh. you know, the desperately seeking Susan kind yes. of look with the wild hair. And this this woman started dressing like her. And I thought, whoa, you know, <laughs> that's pretty powerful. <laughs> so that was the first moment. And I'll never forget, she, we were sitting in a restaurant and she told me about it. And but then I, you know, I kept kind of Madonna in the back of my mind after that, because t- about maybe seven or eight years later, I was at a party in Washington with another hard bitten woman journalist, also covered the wars in the Middle East, Afghanistan. And she said to me, she came to a party and she was dressed up in this weird gear with crucifixes and stuff. And and she said, I can only stay a minute because I'm going to Madonna concert. <laughs> and I thought, here's another one. You know, what am I missing? So I just kind of stored Madonna away in the back of, you know, the shelf in your brain, you know, when yeah. you hide things for another day. And I think maybe that was part of why when I when I came across her again in 2016, I thought, oh, okay, I get it. You know, I get what was attractive to them. Do you recall when you noticed the global impact that she had or the, the cultural impact that she had? And I know that you probably talk about this in your book, but um, I think it's it's really interesting when you when you see a rising star or a celebrity, you're like, okay, I can kind of get why they're they're famous or whatever but when they hit the global stratosphere you're kind of like okay whoa wow they're really doing something that others aren't Mm -hmm. yeah I I didn't really understand her her global impact until I was working on the book and that was a big surprise to me not the big surprise because I knew that everybody knew everybody in the world knows who Madonna is but um but I think I think I was really moved by how it wasn't just a matter that they recognized her, that so many people were inspired by her, you know, that the same courage she gave little girls and, you know, young gay men in the United States were translated and tra- and transferred into countries where 
young women were, were property and young gay men would be killed if they, if they came out as gay. So she penetrated deep into societies where what she was preaching was very dangerous. And I think when I realized that, then I was even happier that I was writing about her because she's by no means just a celebrity who everybody's heard of. She is somebody who's changed lives around the, around the world, and I would argue for the better. Well, when you when you start thinking about like, yes, I'm going to start writing a book about Madonna. It's it's kind of um, I would think is a, is a large undertaking. Mm. And I know I, I read that it you know it took you five years to write mm. this book. And so, where does where does someone start? Like if if especially if if you don't have a lot of knowledge about who she is how do you start your research for a project like this? It was, I was really, I was really, I've said this in another interview, but it's true. I was really naive because, you know, all of my books have been historical books. I did a few in the 19th century and then I dipped my toe in, you know, mid 20th century, but I'd never written about, except, you know, except at, at my work, I'd never written about current times. And I'd certainly never written about a pop culture figure. And I had no idea how untouchable that people in that world are. You know, I thought, oh, great. I'm finally writing about somebody I can talk to. You know, they're alive mm -hmm. and the people around her are alive. And this will be a completely different experience, kind of a normal journalistic experience. And then I realized that those doors do not open. You know, the protective barrier between somebody like yeah. Madonna and somebody like me, even if I have the best intentions about what I want to write, um, is so great and the and the barrier is so thick that I had to almost treat her like she was just a historical figure, you know, and write about her from that distance, which I got used to doing. And because I know how to write that book, you know, that kind of book, that made it a little easier for me. But as far as starting from scratch, you know, as a journalist, um, there's a bit of a there's a bit of an arrogance about being a journalist that, you know, you walk into the office in the morning, your editor says to you, do a story on X, Y, Z. And you say, I don't know anything about X, Y, Z. They say, well, find out about it and, you know, have it in by this afternoon. I mean, that was in those days. Now it's have it in in five minutes, but uh, so we can post it online. Yeah. But I, I, so I kind of approached it that way. You know, I said, okay, I'm a student, you know, I'm a student of Madonna and I'm going to start from scratch. And I, I think I probably read, well, you know, you can see behind me, but I think I probably <laughs> read about, easily 250 books about the various aspects of her career, not just wow. her, not just her and not just the people around her, but, you know, the history of women in the United States, the history of music, the history of women in music, LGBTQ history, the history of AIDS, you know, the history of Hollywood. And then when she'd moved to different places, you know, the history of, uh, of, you know, Miami beach, the history of London, the history of Lisbon, you know, I, the net I cast is really wide. And then once I get all of that understanding, or as best as I can, then I go into all of the interviews she's ever done, all of the interviews people she's been with have ever done, people who will talk to me, you know, I, I interview them. Um, and then when I, so when I hear their voices, I've got their voices and that whole story going on in my head. And I've got the backdrop already established of, where she was, you know, what was going on globally at the time. Um, and so it all begins to make a funny kind of sense. So when I talk about her music, let's say, I can say, you know, she wrote, you know, 
um, American Life. This is the easy one. She wrote American Life, you know, as as the war was about to break, you know, break out right after 9-11 when the whole world culture changed, you know. Uh, right. And so and that's what she's responding to. So it, I think it just gives a, a, a deeper understanding of what she was doing. And and that's how I approached the last in the last book I wrote artists because artists are responsive. You know, we always think of them as their product, but they're responding to what's around them. And so I think with somebody like Madonna, especially, she's always responding to what's around her. And if you don't know what that is, then her work doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, when I look at the, the, the table of contents of the book, it is broken out by not necessarily just the years but where she was at that mm. time. So you break it down by like from, you know, 1958 to, to 1970, whatever, uh, she was in Michigan. And then from the late 70s to the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, she was in New York. And then mm-hmm. from then where she moved to LA mm-hmm. and Miami mm-hmm. and London, like you you do a great job of, of really documenting that where she was in that time. Because I think that it, it's important. It's an important piece that I don't think anyone has, you know, written something from that perspective. And don't you see it? I mean, can't you see why that's pertinent? Because yeah, let's say I mean, when she's in New York, she's one person. She's this wild kid, you know, taking on the world. I'm going to own this place, yep. and she, with this joy and madness. And she gets to Hollywood, and she becomes Marilyn Monroe, you know, and she lives that right. Hollywood dream with Sean Penn and Warren Beatty, and making movies and being completely in the Hollywood establishment. And she realizes that it's just a, a fantasy, you know, and, and it's not her fantasy. And so she then goes to Miami and speaking of fantasies, it's all sexual fantasy and you yeah. know, the sky's the limit. And so she does sex and erotica. I mean, it all makes sense. And, you know, I love these criticisms she gets where, she, where people say, Oh, you know, Oh, she moved to London and she became British. Well, she always does that, you know, wherever she goes, she becomes that because she just is so, I think, stimulated by what's going on around her, and she wants to make it hers. Yep, and she's always looking for some sort of um, spark of of creativity, exactly. or like the, the landscape changes. So you know, social culture and regions, you, you know, they change with the time. So even though she would, she hadn't been in New York for a while, when she goes back, she has something different to go back to. Exactly, to. you're exactly right. And, you know, you think about Lisbon and Madame X. I mean, that's the most perfect example. She goes there. She's looking around, you know, what can I, how can, what can I do here? You know, where am I mm-hmm. here? Where's the music? And she finds these fantastic musicians and creates this, what to my mind is one of my favorite albums of hers. You know, I just think it's magnificent, the, the combination of Madonna and these global artists in this wonderful city. Um, and it's so innocent and raw and real and true. So I, I think breaking it down geographically for me was really fun. And it helped me organize back to your question about how do you do it? It helped me organize the writing because I could kind of make, you know, put her in a box for at least a few years and within that box, let her go crazy. Yeah. And I will say too, the, there's a most, there's a recent article in the guardian that reviews the book Mm -hmm. and they say that you take a very historical lens to it which I think is very important because it's it's very hard, I think, to dissect someone's life in such an objective way, which, 
you know, is very difficult because we evolve. And I think that's, you know, what makes us human and is a, admitting to that evolution. And a lot of people don't like to admit to evolution. But then, you know, there's no such thing as when you're a celebrity, there's no such thing as like, I never said that. I never did mm-hmm. that. You have to always claim responsibility. And as Madonna says in, in her song, um, Look of Love, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. So I think it is important to look at Madonna through the lens of like a cultural historian rather than, you know, just trying to analyze or document her life because you have to look at it. You have to look at it from a purely objective standpoint. And I think it, it's probably easier to do it that way versus Mm -hmm. just looking at her as, um, Oh, look at her and look what she's doing. It's more of like, you have gone and done the background work so that everyone can understand the context Mm-hmm. of where she comes from and what world she comes from. Because I don't think enough of us do that these days. Mm-hmm. We don't look at the context of, we try to look at things through the lens of this is the person I am today versus this is what society was like then. This is what culture was like then. This is what, you know, New York City was like then. This is, and this is what Madonna was like then. It mm-hmm. may not necessarily represent who she is today, but it but it does represent a portion of her life that made her who she is. Exactly. And, you know, this idea of evolution, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's such a, I, I, it just drives me absolutely mad. I mean, who would ever argue that we stand still as people? I mean, we physically change, we physically grow, we age, we experience new things, we have new influences. How, how could we possibly stand, stand still mentally or creatively under those circumstances, you don't, you know, you take all that stuff you're experiencing along with you and that changes you and you're always reacting. So I think that, um, I think in Madonna's case, it's really fun to do that because the headlines always, you know, approach her as, you know, on the most surface level. And in fact, even that's usually wrong. So (laughs) what I tried to do was just, you know, say, okay, let's calm down here a minute and let's just appreciate where she was what she was doing, what was what the people around her were doing and who they were, because I wanted to give them a voice too in this story. You know, it's not just Madonna talking. It's the people who were with her because um, I think they work, they go a long way toward dispelling a lot of the, a lot of the myths about Madonna, you know, that she, she wasn't really a co-producer, you know, she really didn't write her own stuff. And every single producer or musician that she worked with that I read about or talked to or all had the same story. She is 100% involved. You know, she is there. And, and I think that's, that's, you know, I, I, what, that was one of the other things I hope to dispel some myths around along the way and kind of clarify things a bit. What do you think stands out in her evolution as an artist? Oh boy. That's a tough one. Um, or maybe even like a project that like when you were, when you were doing this, yeah. you're like, oh, okay, this, this really took a shift. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, I think her first, I mean her, you know, it was just wild fun up through true blue and those, and those tours, you know, there were a few blips like Shanghai surprise and who's that girl, the film, but you know, everything up to that point was probably wilder and more successful and more exciting than she could have possibly ever dreamed, even though she had huge dreams. But I think when she got to Like a Prayer, Blonde Ambition, 
and Truth or Dare, I think that was a moment where her her life as an artist really shifted because her honey, literally her honeymoon was over. You know, she she had done through the eighties. Um, she'd busted as many barriers as she could for a woman artist. She created songs, iconic songs, iconic looks, iconic performances, like in her videos and in Desperately Seeking Susan. If she had stopped then, she would still be famous and we'd still be talking about her. But when it came to Like a Prayer, you know, this is the introduction of Madonna, the woman, you know, getting divorced, coming to some real serious realizations about her life, having lived through the deaths of so many of her dearest, beloved friends. She was a sober Madonna. She wasn't joy. She didn't lack joy, but she was a much more sober person. And so she approached her work and life itself that way. And I think Like a Prayer was the first album in which she did that. And then Blonde Ambition was her saying, yeah, that's all true. Everything I said in Like a Prayer, but I'm going to, I'm going to be joyous about it anyway. People are dying of AIDS. My marriage has ended. You've called me every name in the book but I'm still here and I'm still standing and I'm going to make sure that I do what I did in the early eighties, which was lift people up and make them, you know, life might be a shit storm, but we're going to enjoy ourselves anyway. And that's, I think what blonde ambition and truth or dare was all about. And I think that was so important um, uh, for the gay community at that moment, because she, you know, she was one of the first advocates for people with AIDS in the mid eighties unbelievably yep. she was one of the first celebrities or musicians or whatever you want to call her who advocated for people with AIDS. but then by the by the late 80s the broader culture that didn't want to talk about gay people didn't want to talk about aids at all in the first half of the 80s started talking about both gays and aids but only in terms of death oh yes they're dying you know almost yippee you know in some quarters yeah. of the country um but she said, no, it's a story about life. And that's what Blonde Ambition was about. It was about this, these beautiful men she was dancing with, who three of whom were HIV positive, who were full of life, undeniable, and who in each stop of that tour inspired people. And so I think that was the first big moment for me anyway, that, that I think that she really was absolutely profoundly changed the world. And I guess I should also say, she did that when she first came out for young women. Um, but I kind of talked about that already, so I won't go into that again. But <laughs> but she she opened many doors for those young women, you know. Absolutely. She said, come out of your bedrooms, be who you want to be. Look at me, I did it. And it's true, she had nothing. And she became Madonna. Yeah. And I when you bring up blonde ambition, I think that's a it's a very pivotal moment, I think, in a lot of gay men, especially around like my my age from Gen X is I think that is also around the time when she kind of solidified herself as a gay icon uh, with the Blonde Ambition tour because it was, it felt very queer in -hmm. a sense. Um, And it also changed the landscape of, of a live production. Mm -hmm. So I think she, she basically set the template for artists to come after her. It's like, this is how you put on a show people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I know that a lot of, other artists have been influenced by her. How do you think that influence has taken shape for artists that have come after her? Well, I think, I mean, you look at the two big concerts this past summer, Beyonce and and Taylor Swift. I mean, that is absolutely, they are the children of Madonna, you know, artistically and 
the production. I mean, everything about it. And um, yeah, I mean, she just, you know, I think that even, even young women who say they don't like her because she's too commercial or whatever, you know, that's say in the late, in the nineties, the, the riot girls, the girl powers, you know, the whole spice girl thing, the post feminists, Mm -hmm. all these young women probably may not say, yes, I was influenced by Madonna, but like you as a young man, anybody in that generation grew up in a world with Madonna. And so they looked at themselves through the lens of Madonna, which was a powerful woman who was, who was doing exactly as she pleased and saying exactly what she wanted. And there is no way that she didn't influence them no matter what they might say. So I think that her, her influence on, on the performing sphere is, is, you know, aside from Michael Jackson, let's say in pop culture is without parallel really. Yeah. Well, Madonna ended up basically stealing everyone from Michael Jackson's exactly. team, his exactly. manager, yeah. his drummer, his musicians, yeah, yeah, yeah. his dancers. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I think Madonna understood his impact and said, exactly. yeah, I want to do something just like that. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I only realized when I was writing this, that when she was still in junior high, Michael Jackson was already performing, yeah. you know, as a young kid and she liked him and she watched him. So can you imagine the leap she would have had to make to not only equal Michael Jackson in the world's kind of awareness and conscious, but as you say, you know, grab everybody he worked with and, <laughs> and use them to make, you know, to help her in her early career. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very important thing. And like you said, the artists that have come after her, my opinion is, um, I think Madonna fans probably won't agree with me, but I think we've gotten to a point where, you know, it, so much has been influenced from Madonna, especially from a performance landscape that um, I know a lot of Madonna fans get upset when current artists don't acknowledge that they were influenced by Madonna. But for me, I think that's that to me is part of social evolution. Right. It's like we've gotten to a point where it's like we don't we don't need to do that anymore. We, we, we know those who know know. Yeah. Uh, and those who don't m- may get it one yeah, day it, it's exactly. just like madonna was influenced by a bunch of yeah. people that came before her, all artists whether whether they were painters or musicians like um david bowie or yeah. debbie harry like she, she found those influences and that that helped her kind of like decide that you know what i can do something like this even yeah. michael jackson like yeah and she didn't necessarily have to say these people directly influenced me. And therefore I don't think current artists need to say that. No, I don't think they do either. I know they know, you know, I'm sure Beyonce and Taylor Swift are fully aware. Um, And, and as you say, I'm, you know, I hope that younger people who don't know anything about Madonna other than, you know, they see her as an older woman who's controversial. I hope they actually go back and look at her videos and listen to her music because I think they'll be thrilled by it. Well, I hope they read your book. I hope they do too. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I'm sorry it's so long. I wish I could have controlled myself. I wish I should have made it into two volumes or something. It would have been much easier to digest. Listen, I, I, when I got a, an advanced copy of the book, I was like, oh wow, this is this is a book. This is like Harry Potter level. Like it's <laughs> yeah. over 800 pages, and um, I, so far I've only read the intro and I read the epilogue. So, but I cannot wait to get into it because uh, from what I'm hearing from the articles that are out there that review this book, 
and um, you, you've also gotten the kind of like approval from from some of our uh, we'll call them friends of Madonna, like Mary mm-hmm. Lambert, who directed yeah. her videos yeah. um, to uh, Madonna Underground website. Mm-hmm. Like you've gotten the approval, so th- there are a lot of people that have written biographies of Madonna that a lot of fans are not fond of. Mm. So I think fans should be really excited to read this book mm. because I, I think you, you you come at it from a different perspective and why no one else has ever done this, come at it from like a historical perspective before. I don't under, I don't know why, but like it, it's perfect timing for you. You are in what the gays call your Madonna era right now. Yeah. So you, you have, you know, done your research you are providing the context that we need. You are giving us, even though we know Madonna's career, I think um, a lot of fans can take something away. But I wanted to ask you, what do you think fans could take away from this book? Mm. Gee, well, you know, I think I, I have heard from fans, um, you know, people who I've had read the book for fact checking and things like that, who said they learned things. And I was really thrilled by that. And I think I think it is that back to that thing of context that let's say let's say a video like Cherish, you know, which is such a great Herb Ritz's first video, and um, you know, it's 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 kind of a curious video because it's so sweet and black and white and the merman and you know, it could have been done a million different ways. Well, the background story of that, for example, is that Herb Ritz had just found out he was HIV positive, and that very month, mm. and so. That was not a moment when he was going to start branching off in a new direction in his career, let's say, videos. He'd never done one before. And Madonna convinced him. She was harassing him. She convinced him, do this video. So they did this song that is so sweet and so loving. You know, you can't get away, I won't let you. When you put that in the context of yet another one of her dear friends, life in danger. I mean, it changes everything. And then the mermen, who are these beautiful, healthy men, swimming in the waves are all about life and a kind of primordial life, you know, and it, it, I, for me, it changed everything about that video. You know, the little boy in her arms, the, the idea of birth and, you know, it's just, it's chilling and it's so much sweeter. So that's, it's that kind of thing that I hope maybe people knew that maybe they didn't, but I tried to connect a lot of dots that maybe weren't obvious and, um, or, you know, with, with, open your heart, the video at the end, you know, when she runs off with the little boy, well, you know, that's the outfit that she and Martin Burgoyne used to wear, you know, when they first started performing together. And at that moment, when she shot that video, he was dying when she knew he had AIDS, he was dying. And so this is her running off in her memories with him, you know, and it's, it's just so moving. And so I'm, I'm thinking that maybe, you know, a lot of fans will know that kind of thing. Um, but if I put the time, if I clarify the timeline a bit and put her work and her life in context, I think some really interesting things pop out. So I think I'm, I'm hoping that that's what people will get for it from it. Well, you're giving me chills right now. Cause like I know, well, it's so that... <laughs> moving. I mean, yeah. Oh, so many times when I was writing this thing, I would just be in tears because, huh. you know, it's just, these are such real, that's the other thing about Madonna, you know, and I think you probably agree with me. I think her appeal is that she's so intimate. I mean, she's a superstar and mm-hmm. untouchable at that, you know, I know well, but 
she's so intimate in her message and in, in, her, in the way she's just a normal person. And her friends are normal people and the experiences they have are normal. Her marriages are difficult marriages that so many people understand. You know, her friendships and her people she was losing during the AIDS crisis was just such a real and touchable story. And um, and when she gives birth, you know, after after sex and erotica, and then she has a baby and she becomes this new person and she has a chance at life again herself, you know, it's such a immediate and intimate story. And she makes it that way through her work and touches her fans that way. And I think that when I was writing this book, I felt that too. And I, and I'm hoping the stories I'm telling them in such a way that that that's conveyed, you know, that, that kind of, you're going to move, you know, you're going to feel this because man, I did, you know, so many times when I was writing and I was, uh, I was just <laughs> sobbing. <laughs> Well, I think it's important that that you say you help connect the dots because I think what many biographers that have tried to write about Madonna before, not only do they not do that for their audience, um, I think what has helped uh, is the fact that so much knowledge has been put out there that wasn't easily available before. You know, we, we now have, you know, there's... Herbert's exhibitions that go around the country and they talk to a lot of the people that work with him. So we learn more stories as time has, has evolved and everything. So I think that that helps because uh, for me as a fan and, and I'm, I'm 45. So my, my timeline of Madonna is a little bit more fragmented because Mm -hmm. I only have those moments of when they happened. Mm -hmm. I don't have, um, you know, information that was released about behind the scenes from like a prayer because I was like 10 or 11 years old. I don't recall all that. And it's harder for me to go back and learn this new information and tie it all together Mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm at a place in my life where it's like, I need to, to, to move on, so to speak, not, not to, but you know, my life is evolving too. I have my own life and my own things that I need to use my memory to store things. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's always harder to make that connection. Mm -hmm. So what I'm excited about to read in your book is reading it more in a, um, in a linear way Mm -hmm. where I can make those connections and connect those dots because it's not, uh, I don't have to, I can look at it from an outsider's per- perspective mm-hmm. again versus mm-hmm. being just a fan. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very powerful and very important. Yeah, yeah, I think that's interesting. You know, the other thing I really tried to stress was her artistic roots in New York. And that part for me was really fun to write because it was about the importance of the dance scene. You know, it was um, the, the artists who she hung around with in the life they lived, you know, they all went off and did their, you know, their work whenever, night, day, whatever, but they met at the clubs to dance. And the social revolution that was happening in those clubs, really, I think the social and cultural revolution of those times was was the, like the birth, like the big bang of Madonna, you know, the Madonna we know. Um, and, and I tried to tell that story in a different way too, because, you know, we always hear about danceateria, and some people talk about Studio 54, which was a minor, you know, blip in Madonna's life. Right. But there's this, there was this club called Paradise Garage, which I don't know if you know about, but it was a, it was a dance club for black and brown men and boys. 
and the DJ was a guy named Larry Levin, who was considered at least, you know, for about 30 years to be probably the greatest DJ ever. And he was, he was like a wizard and he was so respected that record company executives would go listen to him, you know, what he was playing. Record store owners would go listen because they knew if he played something, the next day people would go and buy it. And Madonna was the first white girl who ever had anything played by Larry Levin. He loved everybody, her first single, and he played it. And he even allowed her to film her everybody video in Paradise yeah. Garage. And she actually performed like a virgin for the first time at Paradise Garage. So she was part of this unbelievable scene of joy and love, highly underground. I mean, completely underground. And so when people look at her and say, oh, she's a pop star, she's a really an avant-garde artist. You know, she came from an avant-garde underground that was without gender, you know, gender kind of specifications, without racial boundaries. Everything was possible. You know, it was a, it was a free-for-all. And, and out of that came really important artists like Basquiat and Keith Haring and, and Madonna, you know, and there were many others. But uh, I think if you understand that's where she came from, then you can understand her, the rest of her career and how, and the chances she took, you know, and how she always confronted authority and people would say, your career is over. And she'd say, well, it's too bad. I'm going to do it anyway. And, yeah. you know, then the audience is better and it wasn't over. There was a really great, you know, Carlton Wilburn, her blonde ambition dancer, had this really great quote where he talked about her being, even at that stage, he called her a really balls out street kid who just happened to have a lot of money backing her. So she was like this street artist who Warner Brothers said, okay, I'm going to stop arguing with you. Just do what you want. And she did. And, you know, and changed culture. And made them a lot of money. Yeah. And made them a In lot the of money. <laughs> Uh, can I ask, like, did you go on location for any of these? Like, did you check out, you know, her hometown yeah, yeah. in Michigan? Did you go to New York? Yeah. Did you, like, tell me about, like, your experiences doing Yeah, that. it was really fun. And, you know, when I write a book, that's what I do. I do a little tour because I want to visually see where these people were. Um, and, I mean, when I did a book about Karl Marx, I went everywhere. I even went to Moscow, even though he was never there. I mean, I just went everywhere. <laughs> So I, I had a, a long list for Madonna, and I started in Michigan and um, met people there, talked to her brother, um, met people she worked with in schools, you know, the historical, the really great historian in Pontiac who was wonderful and helped me understand what that city was like when she was growing up. And then I went to, I should have gone chronologically and gone to New York, but I knew New York already. So I went to Miami because I wanted a hopscotch there because I felt like that was a part of her life that nobody really talked about. And it was so critical. I mean, that was her most controversial period. And, and Miami, I mean, that's, that's a place that deserves, you know, Miami, South Beach in yeah. the late 80s, early 90s deserves, you know, a movie made about it other than, <laughs> other than Scarface or whatever. Um, you know, it was such an intense wild. It was where all the people in New York who were bought out by realtors and or people who found out they had AIDS just cashed it in and went to South Beach and started their life all over again. And the scene was throbbing. And, you know, once again, there were no limits, no judgment. You do what you want. Have fun. You know, one quote I have in there is, you know, two is never enough. 
you know, anything that happens in Miami is fine. If it stays in Miami, it's like, well, Madonna, of course, had to tell the world about it through sex and justify my love and erotica. So it didn't stay in Miami. But I went there because I, I and I talked to some really incredible people down there who told me about that scene. And and I couldn't have written the book without them because they, they made it come to life for me. But then COVID hit and my travels were completely mm. stopped. I mean, it was... Yeah. It was awful. I was cut off at the knees. But luckily, I'd already knew London really well. I already knew New York really well. So the only place that I didn't go to to do the Madonna research was Los Angeles. So that's a pity. But, you know, there are enough movies about Hollywood out there and enough books written <laughs> about it that I could I could kind of use my imagination. I mean, you just have to be superficial. like you Exactly. Know, exactly. Hollywood. It fits. Yeah. Everybody goes to Hollywood because yeah. they want to make it in the neighborhood, as yeah. Madonna says. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, who was the most interesting person that you spoke to about this? Or oh. maybe someone that worked with Madonna that you found yeah. most interesting or really like good. gave you more information that you thought you were like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. Yeah. Boy, I mean, everybody was so helpful in their own way. Her brother Christopher was really fantastic. You know, he's gotten a bad rap and I know a lot of Madonna fans don't like him because of his book, but mm -hmm. he was really generous and wonderful. And, you know, he was with at her side for 20 years. And so he went through the family. We, we talked about five times and he went through the family and then we went through, you know, New, early New York and we went through um, Miami and we went through Los Angeles and we went through London and um, he was really great and very, very helpful. Um, and then, you know, her blonde ambition dancers, Kevin Stay was just unbelievable. I mean, he's such a great quote, you know, he, his, his, his storytelling abilities are fantastic. And that's, that's something you don't come across that often. You know, people these days don't know how to tell a story. And he really could. Um, he talked about when he got off the tour, Blonde Admission, and, you know, he he said, you know, he'd never made that kind of money in his life and he really liked clothes. And so he spent all of his money on clothes along the way. And when he got off the plane in Los Angeles, he realized he had $800 to his name and he didn't have a place to live. So he slept in his car for two days. Oh Isn't that great? I mean, here's this guy who's been on world yeah. stages, you know, um, but um, Nikki Harris and Donna were great. Um, Madonna's university friends, you know, her her roommate, Whit, Whitley Satrakian and um, and her other friend, Linda Alanez, were absolutely wonderful and told me incredible things. And then I talked to Whitley's father because he he had introduced Madonna to Al Pacino. You know, there's that story. I don't know if you yeah. know the story where they met in, in New York City. And Do you, I don't know if you know. Tongue in his ear yeah, 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 like yeah. Yeah. So he was really great to talk to. So I mean there were just so many. Um and the guys in Miami, Brian Antoni was fantastic. He's a writer and artist and a South Beach denizen from those days. And he really helped me understand, you know, her impact and how he said there was the king and the queen in South Beach and it was Madonna and Gianni Versace. And they were there at the same yeah. time. And, you know, as long as they were there the place was buzzing. And then when Versace was killed, um, the whole scene changed and, and then everyone left. And so, I mean, there were countless, oh, and then there was a guy named Lawrence Monison, an actor in Los Angeles, who was Martin Burgoyne's boyfriend, his first boyfriend, real committed boyfriend, mm -hmm. who met Martin just before he got sick. And he talks about that romance and that loss in the time of death. It was like love in the time of cholera, except love in the time of AIDS. And he talks about, you know, 
kind of sparring with Madonna. You know, you've got to get there. He's going to die. And Lawrence was shooting a movie in Mexico and couldn't leave because one, he was a young actor. And two, he couldn't say, my boyfriend's dying. You know, in those days, that would have been the end of his career. So there were a lot of people who were just so honest and wonderful. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Madonna has such a long career. Mm. Changes with the landscape of music changes with the landscape of art um, and location Mm -hmm. Um, based on like where music artistry is currently trending. How do you think that impacts someone such as Madonna? You know, I really just, I think we're going to learn a lot with this tour, you know, to see where she goes, what she's up to, because you never know, do you, you know, it's always a surprise, which is part of the delight. Um, and how she's treated, you know, how the press treats her um, and how her fellow artists do. I mean, I I fully, you know, barring some, you know, God forbid, health problems, I fully expect it to be a magnificent tour and that she's going to really, you know, really do great things and, and start yet a new chapter in her life, you know. And you never know what it's going to be. And I, I don't think in any way... You know, I, I often compare her to, let's say, the Rolling Stones or Bob Dylan or somebody. You know, Bob Dylan's chugging along doing his little concerts, and that's great. And people pat him on the head and say, go on, Grandpa, you know, <laughs> keep doing it, which is wonderful. I mean, I grew up listening to him, so I mean, I, I love it. But, you know, he, nobody's expecting him to rock the world. You know, he's going to keep singing and doing his thing. and But probably he's not going to change the landscape all that much, the cultural landscape. Rolling Stones have their new album, Bless Their Hearts, you know. Maybe it's, maybe it's great. I haven't heard it yet, but probably it's not going to change culture because they're probably just doing the Rolling Stones again. But with Madonna, the beauty of it is she does keep changing. You never know what the next Madonna concert is going to be, what the next right. Madonna album is going to be. And it's always radically different. So I certainly can't predict what her role is going to be in the future, but I do predict that whatever it is, it's going to open doors and it will be a cultural moment because it always is, you know, it's, it's very unlikely she's going to stop doing that right now. Important question. Mm-hmm. Do you plan on seeing her? I really want to. I don't have, I'm not, <laughs> I was going to see her in, I saw Madame X in London and I was going to see this one in London, but the timing of that concert, which wasn't planned at all is right when my book comes out. So I can't, <sighs> I can't, you know, make plans. But I'm hoping to see her in the States, which will be a good excuse to go home and see my mother. <laughs> and then, you know, because I, my mother's in Minnesota. So I'm trying to get to that concert. So, you know, the, the Minnesota one, if not, I'll see her in New York. But um, I definitely want to see it because I loved the Madame X concert. And yeah, I would encourage you to go. And yeah. I don't say that just as a fan, but, um, you know, Madonna is evolving, but she's also aging and i and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean that in a way that like you know she's not as limber as she used to be she's still could do more than i could ever do um they have that that tiktok challenge now where uh it's it's from the drowned world tour where she does like 16 or 18 knee bends and i'm like i can my knees will give out the moment i squat down (laughs) so (laughs) my knees crack when i just lay in bed so Mm -hmm. um what I mean is like, we don't know if she is going to be another large scale tour like this. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage you to go because it is going to be, you know, the celebration of her 40 years. Mm -hmm. I ended up getting a work contract, which 
will not allow me to see her for the, when I planned on seeing her in mm-hmm. December in DC. So, um, and my work contract takes me to places where I will not be anywhere uh, near where she performs. Mm-hmm. So I have booked myself a trip next week to go to London and Great. I will see her Good opening night. That Good will be the only you. show I get to see, but wow. I, I, highly encourage anyone that has any interest in seeing Madonna go out and see her because like you said you don't know what is next you don't know what her next project was to be we know it'll probably be great we know it'll be interesting we know Mm -hmm. it'll we know people will be talking about it but Mm -hmm. I I would say this is a large-scale tour she's celebrating 40 years Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you actually wrote a uh an article for New York Times Mm -hmm. celebrating her birthday Mm -hmm. and celebrating 40 years what was it like to write that because I imagine that wasn't necessarily part of your book no but it was just more of like an extension what made you decide to to write that article it was really fun to do because I I actually wrote this book to time to be time to be released before long before like a year before her 65th birthday that was kind of the hook of course Mm -hmm. I busted past several deadlines so I didn't make it but um, so that letter was kind of what I what I should have done if I had been doing this in a timely fashion. But you know, I it was a fun thing for me to write because I wanted to take a moment to just say, you know, the, the story had been about her illness and all of that, and um, and I wanted to just take a moment and, and actually kind of write her a note and say thank you. You know, you've done all of this, you know, against unbelievable headwinds that continue. I mean, she got a little bit of a break while she was ill, but then the, the, you know, the, she's too old, you know, messages started again. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I just frankly wanted to say thank you. And, you know, not from, although I am a complete fan now, not from somebody who has been a lifelong fan, but, but somebody who's come to know her work intimately. I, you know, listening to it every day for five years. Um, I mean, I think my dog can even dance to Madonna now, (laughs) Uh, but you know, every, every moment of every day for the last five years has been Madonna focused. And now that I'm done, I just wanted to kind of give her a little, you know, thanks. And, and so that's what that was. Yeah. yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I just want to say about this tour and your admonition that we, sh- we don't know what to expect. And I absolutely agree with you. We don't know, but who would have ever thought after Madam X with all of her injuries to her legs and hips, and we'd be even talking about, a tour, let alone an arena tour, you know? Exactly. So that's just another example where you cannot possibly predict where this woman's going. Right. Absolutely. Now, when you were doing your research, now now you said you've, you've kind of found yourself to be a Madonna fan. Yeah. Did you watch like all her videos? Oh, Did absolutely. you listen to all of her albums? Everything. And what and all of her tours, I imagine mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Now, do you have a, do you have kind of like a favorite song or a favorite album? I have a lot, <laughs> have a lot of things. but but what I'll do is I'll say same. This. Yeah, I mean, isn't it so hard? You know, you think, I'd say, oh, I could do it by decades, but then I'd have to say, no, I'd, I'll do it by half decades. Let's say up to eight, 1985. And <laughs> but let's just—I think the best way for me to answer is if I'm in the kitchen and I'm cooking, and I want to listen to Madonna, I I probably most often go to bedtime stories because I'm a real yeah. R and B fan aside from Madonna. And I just absolutely love that album. It is so beautiful. And I think so overlooked. And I love it. I also really love erotica. I mean, I love to cook and dance to that. You know, it's deeper and deeper. 
I challenge anyone not to dance while they're listening to that. You know, yeah, and, I mean, you can't um, help it. You can't help it. And um, I love, I like American Life a lot. Um, I loved um, Confessions on a Dance Floor is fantastic. Um, I love Rebel Heart, which wasn't, you know, a favorite for a lot of people, but I really liked it. And I love Madame X. I think God Control um, is just an absolutely fantastic song, you know, on every level. Mm-hmm. So I, I. You like I'm, all the albums, basically, is what I you're like telling all, me. The only, one I, the only one I don't like is Hard Candy, which I know you were just talking about not too long ago. But that's the only one, and I and I, I hate to say that either because I don't like to be critical of anybody's artistic mm-hmm. output because I don't understand what's going on. But I think that was the only one of any of her albums that, for me, it feels like it's a work in progress. You know that she didn't quite put her stamp of approval on it. That Madonna for me isn't quite there. You know, she's missing. It's the two, it's the guys, you know, I'm you applauding. Know. Oh, good. So <laughs> because I, I want wholeheartedly agree with you. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. I feel, I feel bad to even say that, but I, it's not a criticism necessarily of her. It's just like, I think the process she maybe was too rushed or too, she had so much going on in her life between her marriage and the adoption. And, you know, it was just a wacky, time for her yeah but it was also uh, while i is highly panned by myself purely only my own opinion but i also think it was a very important album for her because i feel like it helped generate a whole new era of fans the millennials oh really interesting so oh yeah like my partner who's 11 years younger than me when i first met him we started talking about madonna the thing is, the, the the songs he would bring up are from the Hard Candy album. Wow, like, shocking! Why, why that album? Well, because it was like Justin Timberlake and yeah, and, you know, they, Timberland. His and... his biggest exposure in seeing Madonna in kind of like a forefront mm. um, medium was seeing her on the MTV Awards with Britney and Christina. Yeah. So like anything that kind of followed from that is is kind of like stamped in a millennial's mind because it's it's around that early teenage years where you know where I feel like most people start developing their yes. their taste in music. Right. And I think um because uh 4 minutes was very strong and and number 1 on TRL mm-hmm. for a mm-hmm. number many of days, the exposure for it just opened her up to this new audience mm-hmm. and new generation of fans. Well, good. I'm glad so to hear that. I actually, I, I can take something positive out of mm. Hard Candy. It's mm. it's not one I, I tend to go back to listen to, mm-hmm. but, you know, I completely, completely understand the importance of her putting mm. out that music. And again, like, listen, I don't have to like it, but other fans do. And I think mm-hmm. that's what helps make us a more well-rounded Definitely. I think you're absolutely right. And I have to tell you also, it's really funny, but I find myself and I don't know why. But in the last few days, you know how you get a song in your head? Yeah. The last few days, the song in my head is heartbeat. <laughs> Isn't that strange? At first, I just, didn't even remember. Just that one line. Just feel no, yeah. it in my heart. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have no idea why, but it's occupying my brain. So I'm going to actually go back and listen to it. And she did a remix of that, too, didn't she? Uh, I think I'm she, not sure. She, anyway. she did a live version, which, you know, usually when she does live material, she'll kind of change yeah. the arrangement around. Yeah. Um, 
which I believe the live version is also uh, maybe available on online. If yeah. not, I'm yeah, sure yeah. you find it. Yeah. Anyway, too. I'm going to go find out what that's all about. Well, who's sending <laughs> me that message? Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for your time today. This has been such a treat and such a joy. The book it will be released on October 10th. This may or may not come out before then, or yeah. maybe a little bit after then. I'm going to work to get it out around that time. Um, just for you, Mary. Oh, you're uh, so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> um, also, your your publisher sent me an extra copy, so I will be doing right. a giveaway to oh. one lucky fan who listens to the show, and hopefully it'll bring them the same amount of joy to read it as I anticipate as I'm going to read it. So thank you again for your time. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, and good luck on your 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 Madonna tour as yeah. you go around and, and go on all these interviews and hopefully you get a chance to see Madonna as well. Oh, I hope so too. And Wayne, thank you so much. It's really been so much fun speaking with you. I've enjoyed spending my Sunday afternoon with you. <laughs> thank you so much. Me too. Bye. Please be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review the Madonna Get Together on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And be sure to follow on Instagram at Madonna Get Together. Until then, my beautiful strangers. <laughs>